You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I am, I always say I'm so excited, but I'm really, really super excited uh, to have with me today Rachel Moses. Uh, Rachel is Director, Commercial Services, Business Development, and Green Cities at Electrify America. Rachel, welcome to the program. Tammy, thank you so much for having me. I too am so excited to be here. Thank you. We're both excited, and that's really great. Um, so let me get right into, into the, the questions here. Um, so for the listeners who may not be familiar, it seems like everyone should know um, who and what Electrify America is uh, at this point. But for the listeners who may not be familiar, can you talk a little bit about um, Electrify America, um, what you all are doing and your role in, in the company? And also, how did you get your start in this space? I mean, charging is still pretty nascent in my view. It is. It is. And I feel very fortunate to be coming into my 15th year in the industry. I was wow. very lucky. Yeah. In Australia, actually, um, 15 years ago, I was fortunate to start with an early uh, electric vehicle startup that was a battery switching technology um, called Better Place some 15 years ago now. And I've been in the US for 10 years. And with Electrify America, since uh, since our creation in 2017, so Electrify America is the largest open DC fast charging network in the US. Today, across North America, we are over 800 sites, which equates to operating over just 3,200 individual charges. All of our infrastructure is 150 kilowatts, 350 kilowatts. Um, and we are open, meaning that you know we are non-proprietary. So our network is really for all EVs. Um, we also have a residential product, our home charging station. And around two and a half years ago, we launched our commercial business, which is what I head up today, uh, where we take everything that we do for ourselves as an owner-operator, site acquisition, construction, installation, the selection of hardware, combination with our network backend and ongoing maintenance and operation, and provide turnkey services from that to those that are making their own investment in, in electrification. Um, prior to my role leading the commercial team, I headed up our real estate strategy group, um, and I'm delighted to be able to spend the time today to talk to you about what we've done and where we're going and really where the industry is in the beginning of 2023. Yeah, I can't believe what you all have been able to um, accomplish. I mean, to to you know become um, the the largest um, charging company um, for DC fast charging. I mean, everything that you just talked about, you've all done in less than I think six years, five years, and yeah. that yeah. is like yeah. mind boggling when you think about sort of the 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 history and and everything that kind of has to happen for all of that to happen it's it's incredible yeah no it really is i mean we opened our first station in 2018 uh to then be at over 800 today the beginning of 2023 and and that we continue to expand so we're going to 1800 stations 
across the US and Canada by the end of 2026, which is over 10,000 individual defenses or, or charges. Um, and you know, our investment has allowed us to not only focus on building out this network that creates range confidence, but also really drive adoption by creating a convenience in the speed of the charging technology itself, in the way in which we design the customer journey, how payments are managed, what individual drivers of different vehicles need to feel confident that not only will they get a ubiquitous charging experience wherever they are using one of our sites, be it Vancouver or the Florida Keys, um, mm-hmm. but that they also are getting a fast experience. And this, I think, is something that we've been very proud of distinguishing ourselves that six years ago when we made the commitment to invest in a minimum of 150 kilowatts, the 350 kilowatt charging infrastructure, some folks thought we were a little crazy, to be honest. They didn't <laughs> understand that the vehicles not only arriving, you know, five years ago, but the ones that are coming years from, from today require the fastest speed possible so that the convenience and the experience for the drivers is, is one that they actually want to use in the public. So I think, you know, we're very excited when we look at kind of how far we've come and what we've built out, but what we've got um, ahead of us as well as we continue to expand to, to 1,800 stations. So what kind of trends are you seeing out there when it comes to EV charging? So, you know, it could be design, it could be installation, it could be site selection. And what are the biggest challenges and learnings that you've seen when it comes to getting uh, chargers installed, expanding the the network? What are the pitfalls that should be avoided? Great question. So, you know, when we first started to build our network, we were intentional about investing in locations that had amenities and experiences that customers actually want for their convenience and for the time that they are charging. And so we've been very thoughtful about partnering with uh, property hosts that have you know, retail, big box, convenience uh, facilities that they can access you know, during off hours. And that was somewhat novel maybe six years ago, you know, and I think that that came from a very sincere place that even earlier in the industry, hand raises were those that had control of land that maybe didn't host those amenities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been very important to us. And, and you know, as we think about how we improve a location, we'll bring in additional lighting, uh, we may bring in cameras as well, and, and we've really focused on how can we make the most enjoyable consumer experience whilst our drivers are charging. Um, you know, in the last year and a half, two years, and I think this is such an exciting time for our industry, we've seen so many more vehicles come to market. And mm-hmm. it's kind of, we're getting to this point in the curve that we've all been so excited about for the last decade. And with those additional vehicles, obviously comes an increase in utilization. Um, you know, we're seeing tremendous year over year utilization on our network. Um, in 2021, we provided 1.45 million individual customer EV charging sessions. Um, and then in 2022, we expect that that number is actually going to be greatly surpassed. And so if you think about that number of vehicles that are turning over on the network that are utilizing those sites, again, it comes back to what is the convenience? What is the experience those drivers have their customer journey? You know, we designed our sites to be expandable. 
So, you know, we would stub out additional locations where we've, you know, seen the need for that additional infrastructure at a location. Um, and I think the opportunity for additional expansion is continuing to be desired by the host from this industry. So those that previously were, you know, playing the role of hosting infrastructure, they're interested in having more dispensers, they're interested in having more sites. And then we're also seeing the trend of these entities starting to invest their own capital. Mm-hmm. And this is where our commercial business comes into play. So how we can take the things that we've honed for ourselves and sell those services to real retailers, convenience, fueling centers, um, big box retail who are now wanting to own and operate the equipment themselves and, and have their own brand experience incorporated into the infrastructure. Um, and then I would say another trend that is really emerging from this increase in utilization, which comes from the, you know, the number of vehicles that are on the road, um, is, is really what is the experience for the driver at the site? And, you know, we've invested heavily in our center of excellence to make sure that we have a level of integration testing, um, mm-hmm. regression testing with all of the automotive manufacturers to make sure that the experience is going to be a successful one for drivers um, at our site. You know, what you're saying is actually true. I, I um, was um, at dinner with friends recently um, in Naples, Florida, and um, at the Barnes and Noble after dinner. And I, and we were walking outside and I saw, and there aren't that many around these parts quite yet, the ID4. And it had New York plates. And so, of course, we were you know, sort of curious and looking and, you know, trying, hopefully not setting off the, (laughs) the security system in the vehicle. Um, but we were looking and it was really interesting and it was interesting to me, of course, for, for obvious reasons. And there were these people that were kind of standing, standing close by. And as it turns out, one of them was the driver and he was so striking to me because first of all, he was an older, um, driver, and he had actually brought the car down. He's a, a snowbird and he had actually brought the car down from New York. And he said, and I, so I asked him what his experience was. And he was like, you know, did you have any issues? Is it a problem, you know, driving, you know, you read all of these stories, you know, I took a 2000 mile road trip and oh my God, it was horrible. And I couldn't find a place to charge. And he said, no, I relied on the, I have a, um, you know, um, I charge with Electrify America and I came almost all the way down and I used Electrify America and I had no issues, no problems. It was great. It was easy in, easy out. You know, it is the best thing ever. I'll never go back to, 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 you know, to petrol or to get to gasoline. And um, I mean, he really raved uh, about it and his, his wife did as well. And it was striking to me because that's what you're saying. You know, the customer experience for him as you know, an, an older person, which we can't assume mm-hmm. not everyone is tech savvy, but you know, we may generalize, right? Um, and you know, it was so easy for him. And his only thing was, oh, I'd love to see more stations around Naples. And I was like, well, give it time. Yeah. Um, so um, so what you're saying is amazing. It, it was, it was, he had an amazing experience. And it's because of the things that you're saying is taking all of the friction that is possible out of the experience. And making that it is super easy. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you. That for was sharing interesting. That, story. Mm-hmm. that is really great to hear. And and you know the ID four is is a fantastic car. It's, yes, it's, it's amazing, and it comes with the, you know three years all you can eat access to the Electrify America network. Um, and I'm so happy to hear that you know that distance of a journey as well was an easy mm-hmm. one. We know that there is still some of that friction, and what we have sought to do is to invest with our the automotive automotive manufacturers as, as our partners in you know how we are testing with them how we are going proactively with a roaming fleet of vehicles out to all of our sites nationwide to pick up on um challenges that might be at the location that we don't see on our software backend for example you know a, a connector might be damaged that may not have been called in mm-hmm. um you know and we have in addition to that lab the center of excellence where we conduct all of our testing customer contact center, but beyond that, our NOP, our network operations center, which is really mission control of where we operate 24-7, the monitoring of the performance of the network and are able to address real-time concerns. And that it is, to your point, the most experience, the most important part of this journey and, and to really achieve adoption is the experience of the customer. What is happening to them whilst they're plugging in? How easy was it? How seamless was it? And, you know, different people like different ways in which to initiate a charge. This is a really example that you just provided of, of somebody who was maybe a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Not always, you know, do people feel as comfortable with the mobile phone app? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, how we've invested to make that seamless. And, for example, plug-in charge, the ISO 15118 standard really addresses that, right? It, it's a payment technology that allows a customer convenience where there is a seamless transaction and conference of the certificates that billing is simple. You know, if you plug in, it recognizes that you're county client and you charge. And so that's also been really critical for us, how we can make sure that we are continuously leading the innovation of this technology that it creates convenience and that is most applicable to the most amount of folks. It can't just be a handful of vehicles for a handful of driver tax. It has to be for everyone. So how do you, so you talked a little bit about um, technology, but how do you see um, technology for charging evolving over time? I mean, you know, like there's lots of discussions about BGI, vehicle to, to grid integration, you know, wireless charging, you know, those, those types of technologies and, and, and others. Um, so how do you guys see that evolving over time? And, and, um, you know, how did, do you see that sort of coming into the Electrify America portfolio? So, you know, vehicle to grid, wireless charging, there is a lot of excitement in the industry about these technologies, about how we improving battery density, battery efficiency. Right, exactly. I think what our focus is really on, to be candid, is ensuring that for public ultra-fast charging, we are providing the best consumer experience because there's actually continuous technology deployments that have to be made in the realm that we are focused on today. So what does that mean? It means that, you know, I mentioned plug and charge. More vehicles are adopting this and that requires implementation and testing. More investment is going into how are we making sure that we've, you know, had every iteration of regression testing as possible 
and are accommodating all of these vehicles. So for us, the focus today is very much on providing the most consistent, most advanced technology for public ultra-fast charging. Right. Um, and then that use case, we actually are applying to heavy-duty infrastructure. So because we have this experience now, unlike really any other entity of owning and operating over 3,000 ultra-fast, so 150 and 350 kilowatt charges, that is now translating into how are we serving the truck? How are we serving the medium and heavy-duty vehicles that are entering the market either as part of, um, you know, medium-range fleets or last-mile uh, delivery fleets or the application that I think we're most excited about, which is drainage, because the, the turnaround point, particularly in California, when you think about the vehicle going from a warehouse or depot to the port and back, ideally lines up with the range of those trucks today. And so if you think about trying to come back to what your question was, the, yeah. the technology that we're excited about, it's it's the fleet management and everything that ties in the themes of the experience for that fleet for heavy duty and how that then corresponds with what we've built out for ourselves today is ultra fast charging, you know, experts to an extent in that we have this experience and how that then applies. So I'm really interested in asking you, I mean, as you pointed out, you are in commercial services, so you're really at the forefront of doing this kind of scale up um, in the, you know, the medium and heavy duty um, sector. So, you know, can you talk a little bit more about your your work in that area? You know, what's the, you know, are you, are you having companies, um, you know, come to you and, and how do you see, you know, more broadly, you know, charging, evolving, not just for the light duty fleet, but really especially, you know, medium and, and heavy duty fleet, because I think all eyes are, are on that. You know, it's like the renewable diesel producers and the biodiesel producers are really curious and the RNG producers, renewable natural gas, yeah. they're really interested. And then you've got, you know, they've got all of these, you know, sort of vying for, and, and of course then there's hydrogen that's, that's sort of a little bit further, further behind. I think like five years ago, you know, I was like, ah, oh, no, that's, that isn't going to happen. But you know, it is happening. It's happening for medium and it's happening for, for heavy-duty vehicles. Yeah, and I think today what we have to look at, at is what is the range of the vehicles and their UK? You know, how long are they dwelling for? What is their turnaround time? And match that against the right application where it makes sense to electrify. So I think there are a lot of fleets out there that are starting with drayage and maybe then they'll move on to to consider the medium or longer term trips that today the vehicles are not necessarily aligned for. So if you look at drayage, for example, you know, we're investing 25 million into the state of California, particularly into the port of Los Angeles and the port of Long Beach and, and the serving communities of those ports. And what that has allowed us to do is get very close to those fleets that are to your point, they're, you know, they're looking at various technologies and they're innovating and they're checking and they're trialing. And I think that's where you know, what we can offer is so complementary because they require the most fast 
charges experience that they can have that's going to be reliable and turn them back around for that next trip. Um, and that's really probably where drayage sort of shines. Um, and, and our experience in charging is so well aligned. Um, I think it's, you know, it's early days to an extent that the fleets are not committing their entire fleet and nor should they, right? They're looking at what are the use cases and the, the number of vehicles that we can align to learn early and learn this equipment, learn what the experience is for their drivers, and then take that as they think about their, their larger fleet operations. We have a site in Ontario, uh, California, uh, with NFI Industries. That is something that we're very excited about that location because it is coupling with the charging for these Class 8 tractors, 4 megawatts of storage and 1 megawatt of solar. Um, and I think that this model will be one that other fleets that are, quite frankly, as innovative as, as NFI will continue to adopt. Um, and I'm a, a little remiss too, actually, and I don't want to go too mm-hmm. much of a tangent here, but you asked about the technology and I, yeah. I didn't mention that. One of the other things that we've done and, and we have to do, quite frankly, was to couple storage with our public safety fast charging sites. Today, we have over 150 of those 800 locations where we have added battery energy storage to the location. Oh, wow. And that is something that we, you know, we offer for our commercial customers. Um, We look at what are the utility costs in a specific location? What type of demand are we forecasting? Does it make sense to add that capital up front to improve the economics of the location over time? And as we think about the adoption of, of fleets that are particularly on the heavy duty side, the class eight vehicles, where they have a warehouse, a depot location, or even at the port where we, we've partnered on another property, we're installing 40 dispensers um, at a, a single location on port land. What type of storage do they need, or even coupling generation with solar? to be able to improve the economics of their entire operation. And that's something that we're really excited about continuing to build out. Yeah. Do you see that happening more and more where, you know, uh, site hosts or, or investors just decide, ah, uh, you know, I think I, I'll couple that with, you know, with solar, you know, or wind or, or some type of renewable energy. Uh, yes, it looks most often than not, it's solar. Um, so and even then it will be of the total utilization um, or the, the, the total capacity of the site. The solar is somewhat nominal um, yeah. only because of just how much the PV can generate. But what it right. does allow, it, and particularly the case for, for Ontario, is the ability to, to have a microgrid and to island the facility should there be a, a power outage from the utility. I think probably what we're seeing more rather than the coupling of generation is the coupling of storage. Um, and that's something where it's very specific. You've got to look at what is the, the geographic location, what are the utility um, the rates, mm-hmm. the expected demand charges, and then couple that with your forecast of utilization. And this is something that we're pretty excited about offering to our commercial customers because we can do that analysis for them by looking at our own utilization. And this is where we are quite distinct from some of the other networks out there in that our forecasting capabilities incorporate now four, five years of 
utilization on our 150 and 350 kilowatt network. Others yeah. are not necessarily able to pull from that same data. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> and it's really, it's really exciting to be able to, to share those insights. So, you know, with, with the NEVI investment uh, from the Infrastructure and, and Jobs Act, uh, Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act from the Biden administration, you know, one of the things that we're, we're supporting for our commercial customers is where do you focus your capital? How mm-hmm. do you prioritize these routes? How do you prioritize your investment? And we can actually give them those insights in a way that, that I said, quite frankly, no one else can. Yeah. So I want to ask you a little bit more about, you know, you just mentioned NEVI, um, the infrastructure legislation. You know, that was a huge down payment on expanding uh, nationwide uh, charging infrastructure. That's all being, you know, rolled out uh, now. But, you know, in your view, what other kinds of policies do you think need to be set? You know, could be at the federal level, could be at the state or the local levels um, to really help you know, really help expand charging or remove barriers um, to expanding charging. Um, You know, one thing that comes to mind is managing demand charges or finding ways to, to, to deal with that. Another one is that comes immediately to my mind is, um, you know, the need for expedited and streamlined uh, permitting, which is, is beginning to happen. Um, It's, it's kind of things like that. What are, what are you seeing and, and, you know, in terms of gaps and, and how, what, what needs to be sort of addressed to sort of break down barriers and, and continue to expand charging? Um, absolutely. And, and look, I'll, I'll start by saying that the, the NEVI investment is really exciting for, mm-hmm. for this country. You know, it will make a significant difference because America needs thousands of ultra-fast reliable charging stations yes. that are universal and non-proprietary. You know, in order to really push adoption and continue to do that, and, and my earlier point of EVs being accessible for everybody in, in all geographies, this investment is really needed. Um, and and you know, we're really excited about being able to support our commercial customers in their pursuit of this investment because we, we think we have a position to be able to really focus where that capital will go. Um, there is, and I am blanking on it at the moment, which is mortifying, but <laughs> I will make sure that we follow up with you. There was, there was a, a policy that was released in California uh, last year, or the year before last, and it's, I don't want to say the wrong acronym, um, but that what what it was focused on was the expediting of local jurisdictions, and it was a really um, important piece of, of policy because what it meant was that the individual jurisdictions that issue permits, the permitting authorities had a maximum amount of time which they're able to delineate on that permit and so it really speeds up and and I don't think that you know these AHJs were deliberately uh, not prioritizing these right, right. but it, it puts it puts an emphasis on the speed at which permits have to be considered and reviewed and so that is one that I think is is a really um, fantastic piece of legislature that that we would recommend in in other states so we can definitely link to that um, and then the other thing I'd say is that, you know, Nevi, we were also very encouraged to see that the minimum requirements 
for the investment actually mirror what we have invested ourselves. Four dispensers capable of a minimum of 150 kilowatts each. And I think that is also something that you know we really encourage now. And, and it's fantastic to see that the federal guidelines have set that minimum. But we really encourage for those that are looking at you know what type of investment makes sense or, or what is a minimum amount of um, of charges you know for this this experience that's going to be required um, in terms of actually being utilised and desired by the vehicle drivers. And so that's also something I think from the policy side that was really really fantastic to see. Yeah, I think that's really important because there had been an existing um, policy or existing legislation um, that I can't remember the numbers either for the record. And, um, you know, it was kind of, you heard these stories of, you know, those expedited permitting um, legislation in California directed um, counties and cities to, you know, hey, look, we need to, you know, be fast and here are some guidelines and standards and thing. And, and then I think there's some cities that really implemented that or AHJs that implemented that very quickly. They operate with that, you know, in and out done. And then others, you know, you might be dealing with the case of shrubbery, you know, like, you know, like things need to look a certain way or be designed a certain way. So those are the stories that, that I sort of ran into is, Plans going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because things need to conform to a certain look and it needs to, you know, those kinds of things. And I think this legislation was, no, you've got 90 days. This is it. Yep. It's, it's, it's AB, it's AB 1236. Chop, chop. That's right. I uh, yeah, sorry about that. I was actually no problem. Different I couldn't so, remember either. <laughs> which, you know, it requires that charging installation um, be approved by local public agencies, regardless of whether the association issues approval for the station. And so it really requires that there's this establishment of standards, to your point, in terms of the efficiency of back and forth. And again, I think this is, this is about, you know, just the, the, the two biggest timelines that are out of control for a network operator or for those that are making their own investment mm-hmm. are the permitting timeline and the utility timeline. How long will it take for a utility to bring in a new source of power? Right. Um, right. And so, and, and, you know, as we have, I believe today it's now over 300 utilities that we've worked with individually to bring our stations online. And every time we do that, you know, we're building those relationships. We're, we're part of the educational journey of what is needed for EV charging. And they are eons away from where they were five, six years ago. Yes, there is still, you know, opportunity for improvement. But as you think about the type of engagement that we're getting from utilities, it really has involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this piece of legislation on, on the, the permitting side also really helps to improve that timeline where you have less control. Right. Right. So let me ask you, fun and last question. What excites you that I'm asking everyone? Um, what excites you most about this space and why? I'm very excited about the number of vehicles on the road today. If we think about the different price points, the body styles, the variety of vehicles that are in the market. I could have only jumped about that 10 years ago. Um, yeah. So that's probably the first thing is that we just have so many different cars and more and more people enthusiastic about those cars. 
Um, I'm very excited about trucks. I think that there is an opportunity for the heavy-duty electrification to learn the lessons of the last 10 years, where to place infrastructure, how to size yeah. it, how to make yeah. sure it's, it's fast. Um, and I think that, you know, as, as the technology improves on the truck side, we will continue to be able to leverage the infrastructure improvements that have been experienced by the, the passenger vehicles. Um, and I'm also really excited about Electrify America, to be honest. I have that probably sound, sounds a bit cheesy, but we're a young company and, and I think that we've accomplished a, a great deal in a short amount of time. And oh, we have sure. this future proof network um, that kind of, oh, this sounds a little cheesy, but I mean it. It, it kind of inspires more confidence in folks to switch to one of those vehicles that are now in the market. And it's a really exciting time, I think, not only for us, but for the industry. We're, we're seeing adoption um, at levels that, yeah, like I said, only years ago I could have, have dreamt about. So I think it's going to be a great year and it's going to be a great next few years for, for electrification. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was an absolute pleasure to, to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Tammy. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer, and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.